Hello and welcome to series four, episode 20 on 80s music. And it's the last episode of the male vocalists. So hello, Rebecca, I'll bring you in now. Hello, Dad, you okay? Yes. So we've got to the last group of males. I know. It's gone um, it has, yeah. I will just um, run through who you had in the last group. So we had we had seven and I've added one on. Yeah, to just, talk about last just, minute. I just wanted to uh, – it's only because I was watching a programme about 1984. Right. Um, just everything about 1984. And, and this came up, oh, not through okay. the music, but something else. Um, which I'll go into briefly. Um, but yeah, so I've just added it on. So we've got Luther Vandross, Bobby Brown, Malcolm McLaren, Terence Trent Darby, Philip Bailey, Stephen Tintin Duffy, Steve Arrington, and then I've added on Neil. Yeah, just Neil. Just Neil. Yeah. Okay, that threw me off. Well, I did manage to get him in. I managed to get him in. Well, it's only one song, one song, but it was a um, a big, not big, a a brief. Uh, what's the word? A brief entrance into the eighties music. So that's why I um, right. just wanted to include it. So did he? Le- okay, wait. We'll just talk about him at the end. I'm not going to go into him. Yeah, I've got no. a question. Okay. What we will do before um, we move on to Lufa is um, how many number ones? Right. It's not a good week for number ones, I don't think. I think this week quite a few of the artists were towards the end of the 80s as well. Um, I can feel the 90s creeping in. Um, like the the type of music has just shifted. Um, I have given number ones though, and I've only given two. Mm-hmm. And they go to the same person. Okay. Oh, no. No, I haven't. I've given three. Oh, why? But, like, the third one, I've had it before. So it's like, I should know, but I can't remember. But I know it's a really good song, so I'm like, I'm going to give it. Easy Love, I've had before. You have with Phil Collins. Yeah. Okay. Like, you're looking at me like I have not. Yeah. Um. And then the other two are just by... um. Luther, uh, Luther Vandross, and I've gone with Never Too Much and Dance With My Father. Okay. So you've got three. But I'm right. not sure. Won't be surprised if there's none. Okay, what is? So, hold on. You've gone for a song because I that think we've had that... before, and you just said, I wouldn't be surprised if there's none. Yeah, but I can't remember saying... it's another one. Mm. But it's okay. a good song, so I'm like, yeah, I have feelings it was a number one. But okay, so you've gone I, gone with two for Luther Vandross. Yeah. So I was right in saying there's no dross in Luther. Yeah. Even though I was a bit like, what does dross mean? Because I've never heard that. But yes, you were right. Uh-huh. Well, it was one number one. Okay, yeah, I'm not sure. So... Is it Lufa or is it 
was the song you heard before did that get to number one no i want to say that that didn't now i weren't mm. sure i did have a feeling that it didn't and i might have said that it was number one when we actually discussed phil collins um uh, and it weren't but yeah so i want to in that case i want to go with dance with my father okay well we'll find out because we're doing luther first so let's yeah. talk music let's talk luther van dross yes um he has a beautiful voice he's so talented i the first thing i wrote and thought was that he's like a female whitney houston without the like the ballad range of vocals but even like like that first song i really didn't mean it he has um oh what song is it of hers you know the one that's like do 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 that was a really bad thing of it um but it's got i don't know like a twinkly music he's got the same thing anyway like if i listen to the song i'll be able to tell you but i really didn't mean it i was like oh these are like whitney vibes like the the instrument type of thing and then his vocal range and what he can do is so amazing um i've gone with r&b and soul for his genre um i I only recognised a couple of his music. Now, obviously, we don't expect me to recognise some, but his voice just sounds really um, familiar. Like, I don't know, like, it's very comforting, or I've heard it before, I'm not sure. Um, but I, I recognised two of it, three of his songs, but I didn't, like, they weren't the voice that I was, like, recognising, if you know what I mean, because he kind of starts off with his music very soft, very soothing, and then towards the end, it gets more of an oomph into it. Um, and it was the more back-end songs that I recognised. But when I was thinking to myself, this voice sounds familiar, it was more his softer music. Um, I just think his voice is calm and smooth, and I feel like it makes you feel safe when you're listening to him. He's just effortless. Um, I think at towards the end, there is more like higher chart toppers as well. Um, and he just looks like he just makes it look easy when I watch him. So, okay, you know, it's nice to watch. Okay, fine. So, Luther Van Dross is from New York City in the US, obviously. Uh, he's been active in the music business since 1969. Oh, okay, so that's a very long time. He's a singer, songwriter, and record producer. And his genre is R&B, yeah. soul, yeah. pop, and disco. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I guess because if he was 69, he's definitely gone through the 70s to have that in yeah. there anyway, isn't he? So while in high school, Luther founded his first... Um, or, sorry, not founded his first. He founded the first Patti LaBelle fan club. So LaBelle... Is an R&B singer who right. has since been referred to as the godmother of soul. So she was like the 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 start of it, I suppose. Not not the queen, the, no, god the godmother because of her age, I guess. Um, Vandross also performed in a group, Shades of Jade, and appeared with the group in the pilot episode and subsequent episodes of Sesame Street. During really? 1969 and 70. So, yeah. Obviously, Sesame Street, as far as I know, is still going. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Um, so before Vandross made his solo breakthrough, he sang backing vocals for other artists, including Roberta Flack, Shaka Khan, Benny King, Bette Midler, Diana Ross, Carly Simon, Barbara Streisand, David Bowie, Cat Stevens, uh, the now disgraced Gary Glitter, Ringo Starr of the Beatles, Donna Summer, Sister Sledge, and Chic. So quite a who's who of 70s, 60s, 70s um, stars there. Long list. So during the 70s, Van Dross was part of a singing quintet named Luther. The quintet consisted of Shades of Jade members, Anthony Hinton and Diane Sumler, as well as Teresa V. Reed and Christine Wiltshire. And the group of five were signed to Cotillon Records. Although the singles, It's Good for the Soul, Funky Music, It's Is a Part of Me, and The Second Time Round, were relatively successful. Their two albums, the self-titled Luther from 1976 and This Close to You from 1977, which Van Dross produced, did not sell enough to make the charts. So when Cotillon, I think it's Cotillon or C-O-T-I-L-L-I-O-N, I'll be honest, I've never heard of them myself. Cotillion. So they dropped the group. So Van Dross bought the rights to both albums, preventing them ever being re-released. And that's the quint. Is that the quintet? Yeah, yeah. The um, I've forgotten what the uh, oh, Lufa. The group was called Lufa. Yeah. Right. So Van Dross then wrote and sang commercial jingles. Between 1977 and the early 80s, including for Mountain Dew, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Burger King and Juicy Fruit Chewing Gum. So one way to keep in the business, I guess. If you were in America at that time and you heard the adverts, it could have been Luther Vandross that, mm-hmm. that was behind it. Could have been. So then Vandross made his career breakthrough as a featured singer with pop dance act Change. So they were a studio concept created by French-Italian businessman Jacques-Fred Petrus. Their 1980 hits The Glow of Love and Searching featured Vandross as the lead singer. Vandross has since said about the track The Glow of Love that it was the most beautiful song he's ever sung in my life. Or in his life, shall I say. In his life, yeah. Yes. Both songs featured on Change's debut album, The Glow of Love. Van Dross was originally intended to perform on their second and highly successful album, Miracles, in 1981, but declined the offer as Petrus didn't pay him enough money. Right, so that's that Frenchman. Yes. So Van Dross's decision led to a recording contract with Epic Records later in 1981 and released his debut album, Never Too Much, with the title track being his debut single 
and reaching number 33 on the US Billboard Hot 100. Bad. So still in the, in the top 40, you know, as yeah. we said before, in America, that's, that's very Big. good. It also charted high on both the US Billboard Dance and Club songs at number four and the US Billboard Hot Soul singles where it made number one. So it was top of the charts on the soul. And chart. that's his debut al- album. Single. Single. Yes. Wow, he came in strong, didn't he? But then yeah. I wonder whether people would have known his name. Um, like, he's not had any... I wouldn't have said that um, Change yeah, was a big out. group. So, yeah, mm. I wouldn't have said so, really. Okay, so he's just come in strong. He's really worked for it. Vandross also released his cover version of Bacharach and David's song, A House Is Not A Home. And the album was, his album, was number one on the US R&B chart. So both the album and the single, both called Never Too Much, done done well on the singles chart. And then... And what year is this? And this would like have been 1981. 1981. Yeah, so why? I'm guessing it weren't released over here then, because I've Correct. not got that one. Okay. Van Dross's next, oh, sorry, next six studio albums all reached number one on the US R&B chart. So oh. like the the first album, his yeah. next six. So his first yeah. seven Evan albums were all number one on the R&B chart. So number t- so his second one was Forever for Always for Love in 1982. Busy Body in 1983. The Night I Fell in Love in 1985. Give Me the Reason in 1986. Any Reason in 1988 and The Power of Love in 1991. So pretty much any album during the 80s that Vandross put out would go number one on this R&B album. I do think, like, he is very R&B, though. Like, I put R&B before anything. Um, Mm. So I'm not surprised. And if that's the music that I've got, obviously that's all in the 80s. So that must have been a strong genre for him. And he obviously did very well in that genre as well. Yeah. While his albums Give Me The Reason, uh, 1986, and Any Love, I've put Any Reason, it was Any Love in 1988, um, they gave Andros his best charting album positions on the UK with both peaking at number three. Oh, that's not bad at all, is it? Over here. Yeah. So, yeah. So his 2003 song, Dance With My Father, was recorded was just before... 2003? 2003. Wow. I've got 2004 written down over there. So it might have gone in the charts at 2003, but reached its peak in, reached the peak position in 2004. Right. So, yeah. Um, So that was recorded just before his death in 2005 and was dedicated to his dad, who died of diabetes when Luther was only eight years old. That makes that song even more sadder. It's already like Mm. a tearjerker. 
Yeah. Now to know the background of it. Uh, Lufa won eight Grammy Awards, winning Best R&B Male Performance in 1991, 1992, 1997 and 2004. As well as Best R&B Performance by a duo with Beyonce for their duo of The Closer I Get to You. While Dance With My Father won Best Song in 2004, and it was Best Album. Wait, he did a duet with Beyonce? He did a duet with Beyonce uh, called The Closer I Get To You. I want to listen to that. So there you go. pretty cool. That would have been around, I think, uh, 2004 I've got that down as. Why how, Why did I? Um, so Van Dross died in July 2005 at the age of 54 That's from sweet. a heart attack. Um, oh and um, the following all either spoke or sang at his memorial service. Aretha Franklin, Patti LaBelle. How old is she? I thought she was like... Dead in the 80s. Well, nope. Patty LaBelle, who he made a fan club for whatever age, um, was there as well. Along. So Stevie Wonder and Dion Warwick. Who's Dion so Warwick? They all, Hang on. They Dion all... Warwick? Weren't she on yes. Mars Singer? Weren't she that soul singer that was on like, Have I Just Ruined Mars Singer for you? She was off week yes, one. Yes, I think she ran off week one. Yes, I yeah. think that was Dion Warwick. Yes. Yeah. I've never heard of her before, but the only reason I know no. that is because she was on there. Oh, okay. and she was a soul singer, so that makes sense. She as was, well. yes. So it was Aretha Franklin. Yes, I knew that. I've heard of her. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, so that that's um, Luther Vandross. Oh. So um, let's see uh, where if the number one is. It's got. It's got to be the dancing with my father. Well, that wouldn't have been in the eighties, unfortunately. No, it wouldn't. But it I've listened to it. But okay. then you didn't say, "Oh, it can't be that," because you said you've just got one number one. And usually, you go, "You've got one number one," but it's not in the eighties. Uh, so it's not dance with my father. Let's let's wait and see. 1987, I really didn't mean it. That got to number 16. It's not a bad start, is it? Um, music and vocals go really well together. Uh, it really gets you moving. Great start to the week, that was. Uh, 1987 again, Stop to Love, number 24. So this is a bit more calm and it's slow paced, but it picks up for the chorus. And at this point, I was like, what am I getting with you? Because we've had like an upbeat and then we go down and I'm like, I don't know. I might be on a roller coaster with this guy. So it was a bit threw me off. Still 1987. So amazing. Number 33. Really? I really liked that one. I think it's a, a that's a wedding song. I think uh-huh. uh, it's very calm, sweet and meaningful. And his voice is really nice. 1986, Give Me the Reason, number 60. It was then re-released in 1987, number 71. 
and then we released in 1988 number 26 oh so it finally got something it got yeah. it got there um i'm intrigued to see what it came after so i want to know when 1988 is for it to be like get that um chart positioning um but i do agree it's not the best song of his you're like you're waiting for it to pick up um the chorus saves it and the video was linked or it looked like it was linked to some sort of film he was like in it and then there was like these actors and i swear one of them looked like danny devito i'm telling you now um and he would like come in like they were like arguing he'd come and they pause it was very well um recorded if that was just a music video um <laughs> but i'm telling you now it looked like danny devito i didn't pay too much attention to him but it did look yeah did look like him okay uh 1988 i gave it up when i fell in love number 28 that might be the reason that came back anyway upbeat it's got minimal lyrics but it still gets you moving like the tone of the like actual music to the song is really um well done okay 1988 any love number 31 this is a swaying song but i do like the lyrics like, i feel like the song talks to you and it's just all about how love is love and everyone deserves a bit of love and i just really like it like the meaning behind it 1989 she won't talk to me number 34 this was my favorite um it and you know what? You have to really get into it for it to speak to you. And it picks up as it goes along. But it really gets you moving. Um, I think it was like an underdog for me to like. But yeah, it was my favourite. It's really, really hit with me. Okay. 1983, Never Too Much, number 44. And then re-released in 1989 and it got to number 13. So he doesn't always do good over here, especially with his first release. Has well, that's his best good. charting song. Oh, yeah, it is. Mm. Must have been quite near the other end, didn't they? Um, well, I, re rec I recognise this one. Very feel-good, very catchy, sing-along. Like, it's a good all-rounder, I'd say. 1992. The best things in life are free. A duet with Janet Jackson got to number two. Oh, Ooh, so that's now his best one. Um, again, I recognise this one. It's very fast paced. I feel like it's a really good dance hit. Got people up. 1993, Heaven Knows, number 34. Ooh, yeah, this one was a bit more stripped back. Um but it's like more like it's so like I'd say up to my favorite of She Won't Talk to Me. They're very like calming and soothing, a bit more on the souls type of side. And then um, until you get to this one, they're more RB. But this one brings it back to his beginning stuff. And I think it really takes it back for him and what he's good at and shows off that those vocals. So I did, I did quite like that. Okay. And lastly, 2004, Dance with My Father number 
Is that all it got to? That's all. Which just showed you how big Vandross was. I mean, people knew of him. I did. But I suppose the music just wasn't 80s music. And it certainly wouldn't have been. I mean, Dance With My Father is more of an 80s song than a 2004 song. Maybe not even yeah, two thousand. Maybe not even eighties. Maybe nineties. Like I d- I wouldn't have even known that that was out of the eighties. Like it fits in so well with all of his uh, other stuff. Um, but it's such a beautiful song, and it really pulls at your heartstrings. And now I know that it was for his dad. Mm. Oh, does it even more? It's just a lovely song. Lovely end. I couldn't listen to the whole song though because it does like just. I think I could cry. Mm. And I still have my dad. (laughs) Okay. Moving on to Bobby Brown. Yeah. Well, this was a change, wasn't it? We weren't expecting it to go from Luther Vandross to Bobby Brown. Like, because I have no idea on these people. I just listen and I'm like, "Uh, okay, we're... We're listening to this type of music now. So this is more like your rap, your hip-hop, I've gone with for the, for the genre. Um, his songs are straight in there. Like, it just, you listen to the song, it's straight in with the beat, straight in with the lyrics, just everything. Um, I like how he mixes it up, and it's just, like, about the sound of the song. Like, he doesn't just sing, but he does that rap. Like, he's got a bit of everything, and he kind of has a play around with music, but not in a way where you're like, oh... You're messing with it too much. He does it in a really good way, I think. Um, he's definitely got to be at the end for us, for me to be listening to this type of music. Um, he's quite talented with what he can do. And I was surprised I did recognise a couple. Um, a couple, yeah. Um, but one of them I recognise because it has been covered. Uh-huh. So I was listening to it in my car and I was like, why do I know this song? Didn't think anything of it anyway. When I was writing my notes, I was like, this song again. And I was like, it's been covered by a woman, by a woman. And I sat there and Connor was like, no, no, no. It was covered by Britney Spears, the one and only. Mm. Um, And that was my prerogative. She covered it. Uh Um, I think he's very well dressed, very stylish. His outfits seem quite thought out. Um, and like his dancers match his outfits in the videos. So, okay. like. so um, do you remember talking about him before? No. Okay. So Bobby Brown from Boston, Massachusetts in the US. He's okay. been active since 1978. He's a singer, songwriter, rapper and dancer. Um, his genres are R&B, soul New Jack Jack Swing, which is hip-hop, dance pop, and pop. So, Bobby Brown formed the group New Edition, which we've spoken about. Yeah, we have spoken about. In 1981, when he was just 12 years old, with his childhood friends Michael Bivins and Ricky Bell. Bivins and Ricky Bell. After being influenced by Michael Jackson, Marvin Gaye and Prince, the group released three studio albums between 1983 and 1985. And following the release of the third album, Brown left the group as he was unhappy with the direction 
the group were going down with its bubblegum pop image. And he was also not happy at not being more prominently featured as lead vocalist on the album. The group's best success with Brown as lead vocalist was with Candy Girl, which made number one on the UK singles chart. I remember chart. that song now, because I remember talking about how young they were and mm -hmm. um, that their voices were very high and that they wouldn't be able to like continue as their voices break. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm pretty sure did the other two have problems as they grew up. Oh, that, no, that was another one. Don't worry. That was I know musical that was youth, I yes. think. Yes. But I do, so remember, follow, no, I do remember that song. Following his exit from New Edition, Brown signed a contract with MCA Records and also agreed a deal with Stephen Marchat, Machat to be his manager. Brown's debut album, King of Stage, was released in 1986, while his single Girlfriend reached number one on the Billboard Hot R&B Hip Hop song chart. The album and singles were relative flops on the mainstream charts, however. So Brown then laid low for a year while working on his follow-up album with some of the top R&B producers and songwriters of that time. The result was Brown's most successful solo album, Don't Be Cruel, which was released in 1988 and had five top ten songs on the US Billboard Hot 100, including the number one single, My Prerogative, co-written by Brown. Other hits were title song, Don't Be Cruel, which got to number eight, Ronnie, which got to number three, Every Little Step, which also got to number three, and Rock Richer, Rock Riffia Richer, number seven. Right. So the album got to number one on the Billboard Hot 200 and number three in the UK. Brown then sang the soundtrack song On Our Own for the Ghostbusters 2 movie, which reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100. Only because it's Ghostbusters. Yeah. Follow-up album, Bobby reached number two on the Billboard Hot 200 in 1992 with the single Something in Common, a duet with his then-wife, Whitney uh -huh. Houston. Why? Right. So can I tell you my little thing? When you, when you gave me Bobby Brown last week, I legit nearly said, oh, it's Whitney Houston's daughter, isn't it? And then I was like, wait, we're doing male soloists and it can't be Whitney Houston's daughter because they're in the 80s. Um, and so I kept my mouth shut, but that went through my head. But now it makes sense as to why her daughter is called Bobby Brown. Is it Millie Bobby Brown or whatever her name is? It's got Bobby in it. Um, but Bluminette didn't know they were married. Didn't know that. We spoke about it when we said about New Edition. Well, I don't remember that. When we speak <laughs> about groups, I think this is what you don't understand. When we speak about groups, I don't really remember who's in them unless it's like a big name, you know, like major or all the, like the jacksons or the nola like you know like people that have then gone to do proper big solo stuff don't know bobby brown's names in every name that i've ever been given am i all right okay. he's been married to whitney houston that is quite notable so yes but i wouldn't remember that so i'm still a, so, i bet um, i reacted exactly the same as i did then 
<laughs> so the single Something in Common, which was, as I say, a duo with his wife, Whitney Houston, reached number 12 on the Billboard Pop Airplay chart, while lead single Humping Around reached number 3 on the US Billboard Hot 100. Brown has released five studio albums between 1986 and 2012, but is best known as being the husband of Whitney Houston and father of Bobby Christina Brown. See, that's a bit sad, isn't it? You've really tried to have your own career and you're overshadowed because of Whitney Houston. Like, you're best known because of your wife. Not because of that group you did in the 80s or your solo (laughs) career that you did in the 80s, because of your wife. Yes. Poor guy. So the couple divorced in 2007 after 14 years of marriage. And I went into it. I don't know if you remember. I said that um, he was, um, she said he beat her up and things like that. So. Uh, Vaguely, yes, I do remember. Yeah. So Bobby Brown had a TV show called Being Bobby Brown, which we also mentioned when we went into it. Because Whitney Houston didn't want to be in it, but then she was in it. Um, so it was a reality show, and um, it did see, um, as I say, Whitney Houston make appearances on he, it too. He did that to prove that he was a good guy. I don't know. And I've never watched it. I don't think it was aired over here. I think it was aired in America, um, unlike like um, the Kardashians and future. So it's probably one of the first, to be honest. I don't know how you know, um, how when the Kardashians started and when okay. this actually was on, but this was probably before then. And Yeah, that, they're but, like yeah. 2009, I want to say they mm. came about. So, yeah, so, I mean, if, if as Whitney Houston was in it and they divorced in 2007, so it's pre-2007, definitely. Because so, uh, how do you know it went after their divorce? Because Whitney Houston was in it. Right, your ex. Well, she would be in it. Well, I wouldn't have thought so. She didn't want to be in it anyway. I told you that last time. She didn't sort of like kept it at arm's breadth, but obviously, you know, it was in in the house. I suppose it's like the um, Sharon Osbourne as well. That that one was another one, oh, wasn't it? Around love this time, the Osbournes. So that yeah. Was a good one. Um, so yeah. So sadly, Whitney Houston died in 2012, aged 48. While daughter Bobby died in 2015, aged 22. Why didn't I know that she died? Yeah. In 20 when? 15? Yes. Do you not remember her dying? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, yes, Bobby Brown. So, 1988, Don't Be Cruel, got to number 13. Okay, I like the mixture in this one with the singing and the rapping. That really stood out for me. And I was like, okay, as much as I was like, right, okay, this is now what we're listening to. It was very much like, I like how this is going. I liked his style. 1988, My Prerogative, number six. Um, It was re-released in 1995 and still made the top 20 at number 17. Oh, wow. Um. It literally gets stuck in your head. It is really good. Um, it's very upbeat, very catchy. Like I say, Britney Spears has covered it. Okay. 1989, Every Little Step, number six. Again, that was released in the 90s, 1996, and got to number 25. This was my favourite. 
very fast-paced, simple lyrics. It's to the point. I liked it. 1989, on our own, number four. Okay, this is very quick. Um, his rapping skills are immense. Um, and I feel like this, because this is the Ghostbusters one, isn't it? Yeah. I feel like this isn't his true self. So like at the beginning, it's got his rapping and it's very good. And then it goes a bit off course to his usual style. Um, I just feel like it's not him as much. And you can tell it was very directed to do with the film, if you know what I mean. 1989, Rock Witcher, number 33. This one's very slowed down, you know. Changes him altogether. Um, it's more heartfelt and meaningful. Complete change. 1989, Ronnie, number 21. Again, this was very calm, and there was parts of me like this was. I re- I saw this when I was watching the video. It just looks like he wants to rap. He want like I feel like his true self is doing the rapping instead of the singing. And I think nineteen ninety two humping around number eight. This is very quiet. The chorus is the only bit that brings something to the song. We're not, we're not really up there. And 1994, Something in Common with Whitney Houston, number 16. Yeah, there's not much to it for Whitney Houston. Not much going on. She carries the song, though. He doesn't really do much, if I'm honest. I feel like now I know more about him. Um, It's like he got her, in, got her on to try and boost his career in a way. Maybe. I could be reading into uh-huh. it or not. It didn't work anyway. Okay. So that was Bobby Brown. And now we move on to something completely different with Malcolm McLaren. Uh, he's a... I don't really know who he is. Um, the video... This, is ve- this was a really weird part of my week. It was very <laughs> odd. Right? And... I kind of uh, forgot because obviously I listened to four more after this and do my notes and it's been a while. And I'm now like reliving his songs. He's an odd guy, whoever he is. I don't really see him. The videos are quick. There's people everywhere. They're often working out in school, in a class or doing some sort of sport. Um, I feel like it's so in one of them. I think I can't remember which song it was, but they were on a basketball court in a in a high school, like a secondary school, basically. And I feel like I worked out who Malcolm was, and he's the guy that kind of portrays the teacher, like a coach or whatever. And if it is him, he's got a crazy look in his eye, and I think he's just a bit mad, right? And if it's not, then whoever that is is a bit mad. But it focused on him a bit too much for it not to be him. Um, he It's a lot of talking... I feel like his songs are literal instructions. Like, he could sing a song about how to brush your teeth, and I'd be like, okay, cool. Yeah, and it would work with the rest of his songs that he's got. Um, But then towards the end, it went a bit even more weirder, because he brought in these, like, orchestras, and they were singing... I don't know. They were singing with, like... 
the background music and it didn't really match up like the background music was a bit more upbeat and hip-hop and then you had these classical people on the top and he didn't have much of a forefront then so I feel like he took a step back and maybe did a bit of the producer I'm not sure don't really know what was going on no idea of his genre I went for hip-hop but with a question mark it was yeah it was I don't think he's all there okay so he's um from Stoke Newington in London he's been active since 1971 he's now he's it's a weird one because he started off as a as as a businessman or entrepreneur oh, I should do. um he was in a band manager um stroke songwriter right. and then a singer songwriter but he's not a singer so he hasn't really got a genre right okay Pop, well that's good rock, because but, yeah who knows so only yeah. he knows yeah so mclaren started out in the fashion business with his then girlfriend Vivian Westwood, right, um, in a clothes shop where Westwood customized and repaired clothing. Westwood and McLaren then designed clothes for theater and cinema productions, such as the Rocky Horror Show and Ken Russell's film Marla. Then, in 1973, McLaren and Westwood visited New York to participate in the participate in the national boutique fair and they got involved while out there with american rock group the new york dolls supplying them with stage wear then in 1974 mclaren renamed a couple's shop from too fast to live too young to just sex so they called the clothes shop sex so you like I'm just going down the sex shop. This is so, yeah. explaining him. This is before he was even in the music industry. <laughs> and this reflected his the its move towards fetish fashion. So what they called fashion? it sex fetish. Oh right, okay. Well, that says it all, doesn't it? So in 1975, McLaren and Westwood designed a red patent leather costume for the New oh, York Dolls. God. And used a Soviet-style hammer and sickle motif for their stage shows in the US as an attempt to attract attention. The ploy, unfortunately, was unsuccessful due to the dolls breaking up. And guitarist Johnny Thunders has since said that they he has since specifically named McLaren as the reason why the band broke up. However, McLaren has um, blasted, has like, you know, come back at him and blasted both Thunders and drummer Jerry Nolan's drug addictions for the band splitting. He was in the band. No, he was like the. No, he wasn't even. Johnny was. um, They initially were there like they done. They they styled them and that. And I suppose McLaren was their manager. Right, okay, that makes sense. Because, like, when you were talking, I was like, right, okay, so he's designed all this clothes, he's getting his name out there. Then, when you said that they blamed him, I was like, wait, when was I think he, he sort of become their man? Right, so he worked closely Bearing with in mind, what I'm about to tell you is he does go into um, band management. 
So McLaren then advised sex customers, as in oh, their God, fashion of shop. Of course he did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's not Cook all of a sudden gone and Steve Jones on their musical aspirations, proposing that one of his shop assistants, Glenn Matlock, join them as their bass player in a group McLaren named Cutie Jones and his Sex Pistols. In the summer of 1975, McLaren ejected frontman Wally Nightingale from the lineup because he didn't fit in with McLaren's vision for the band's image. His so band McLaren... in the first place, a poor guy. Yeah, he made he's he set the band up. No, the people came into the sex shop and wanted the assistant. And no, he assisted out... them on their musical aspirations um... and said that he proposed one of his job assistants, Glenn Matlock, right. join them as their bass no. player in a group McLaren named Cootie Jones and the Six, Pest right. Six Pistols. Right, okay. Oh, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then McLaren got rid of the uh, front man, Wally Nightingale, from the lineup, um, but just because he obviously didn't agree or see fit in with his in plans yeah. um, and image. So McLaren replaced him with customer John Lydon. Blumenegg, just come in for some clothes and he's being like, can you sing? Who McLaren dubbed Johnny Rotten as he sported green hair and torn clothes with the words I hate written on top of a Pink Floyd t-shirt. So, I hate Pink Floyd in other words. Um, And at that time, McLaren shortened the band's name to simply the Sex Pistols. I did wonder, I was like, okay, is he the one that started the Sex Pistols then? Okay. So by May 1977, Matt Locke had been replaced with Sid Vicious, as Matt Locke supposedly liked the Beatles. As manager McLaren was accused by the band in 1978 of mismanagement and refused to pay them when they asked him for money. McLaren states that he planned out the entire career path of the Sex Pistols. However, Lydon's feelings of being used by McLaren formed the creative impetus for his next band, Public Image Limited. In other words, what he was saying is... quite a few then. Yeah. Well, no, he wasn't involved in Public Image. That was Lydon's, and it was a dig at McLaren by saying he was using the band to be his Public Image, which, if you think about it, they put the the Russian sickle and... um, What do they call it? Um, I said it the hammer and sickle on New York dolls to attract attention for themselves and obviously that's what um, Johnny Watton is sort of saying or uh, as I say John Lydon is sort of saying is that he used the sex pistols for his own public image so John mm-hmm. Lydon named his next band Public Image Limited as a dig right, at McLaren. to do, yes, 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 I'm with you. So following Sid Vicious's death in 1979, the band brought a case to the High Court against McLaren's management company. And in 1986, the contractual rights to the Sex Pistols name, artwork, master tapes and group income were awarded to Lydon and the others. 
Right, so he weren't then awarded anything. No. So McLaren was then approached by Adamant to manage Adam and the Ants. And shortly after, three members of the band left to form Bow Wow Wow under McLaren's management. McLaren, however, continued to manage Adamant, who then formed a new Ants lineup. Yeah, I think he should have started with the managing. So the 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 members of Bow Wow Wow were dressed in clothing designed by McLaren and Westwood, much like they had the New York Dolls. Boy George was originally a member of Bow Wow Wow. However, he was replaced with 13-year-old Annabella Lewin. In 1983, McLaren released Duck Rock, a solo album in collaboration with producer and co-writer Trevor Horn. Uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood and Buggles. He's had it. Like, Malcolm McLaren's had quite a big career, not going to lie. And it was also in um, with the world's famous Supreme Team, who were a duo of hip-hop DJs from New York City who hosted a hip-hop and a classic R&B radio show. The album reached number 18 on the UK album chart and had Thomas Dolby on keyboards. In 1984, McLaren turned to electronic music and opera on the single Madame Butterfly, which reached number 16 in Australia. Now, in 1982, McLaren had visited South Africa and he took inspiration from the music he heard out there for both his singles Soretto and Double Dutch. So Double Dutch was taken from the song Pulang or Pulang by the Boyo Yo Yo Boys. Right. While Soretto was lifted from the He Majada Majadji by General M. D. Sharanda and Nagaza sisters. McLaren had form on lifting songs as Mahotela Queen's song Unculo Karapuleli was the basis of Bow Wow Wow song Sea Jungle. None of the African artists received royalties and a case went to court. So they bought a case against yeah. him to get to get some yeah. royalties or to get no. notice that it, yeah. he'd lifted it's their come. their song. Yeah. Um, so he went to court and then McLaren settled for an undisclosed sum out of court. So it didn't go the full best distance. Way, yeah, best way to go, isn't it? In 1992, McLaren co-wrote the song Carry On Columbus for the feature film of the same name. And in April 2010... McLaren died from a cancer of the abdomen, aged 64, in a Switzerland hotel. A hotel hospital. Tributes poured in from friends, associates and fans, including John Lydon, who obviously they'd fallen out, as we know. Yeah, yeah. um, Whom said, for me, McLaren was always entertaining, or Malk, as he said, sorry. For me, Malk was always entertaining. And I hope you remember that above all else, he was an entertainer. 
and I will miss him and so should you. At the funeral were Sex Pistols bandmates Paul Cook and Glenn Matlock, as well as celebrities such as Bob Geldof, Tracy Emin and Adam Ant. Bob Geldof later told John Lydon, who obviously wasn't at the funeral, mm. that at the funeral there was a huge row between Vivian Westwood and Bernie Rhodes, who was another designer, um, and um, another designer stroke manager, and he he managed the Clash. Right. Um, to which so yeah so obviously they were arguing and um Beldoff, mm -hmm. and obviously this is being relayed by Geldof yeah yeah but um yeah so Geldof um intervened saying i mean the man's dead what are you people doing so like what they're even, arguing at really asked, there is entertainment even at the funeral yeah, but so what Lydon right said, he's an entertainer. Well, obviously not, no. But it just shows, you know, he just lived lived his life. Yeah, I guess. But still. So Malcolm McLaren, nineteen eighty-two Buffalo Girls with the world famous Supreme Team got to number nine. So. There's not much to it. And this one came on and I was like, what am I listening to? It, and none of his songs are really the same either. So this one's Buffalo a lot girls, of... Buffalo Girls, round the outside, round the outside, round the outside. Buffalo Girls go round the outside. Yeah. Don't like it? But there's a lot of like, wicka, 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 with the <laughs> disc scratching. <laughs> Don't like well, that that's bit. The Supreme Team, isn't it? I've just told yeah. I said they were yeah. DJs. I know, but yeah. And that's the thing, like... Malcolm McLaren, I, th I think he should have stuck to managing because his music that he's bring out, like he's got the um, world famous Supreme team with the DJs and whatnot. Okay, yeah, fair enough. You can hear that they're really putting a mark on his music in that song. And then obviously he goes with the orchestras. It's like, no, where, where's your um, consistency? It's not there. Um but yeah, there's not much to it. It's just a lot of noise, really. I, it is catchy with the Buffalo girls around the outside, but yeah, other than that. Okay. 1983, Soweto, number 32. This was my favourite. Um, it's quite catchy, fast paced. Do you know what? It's like a workout song. I feel like you could, you could uh, get a sweat on if you were to move to it because of how fast paced it is like you could yeah anyway it's probably yeah it was the best one in my opinion that you had 1983 still double dutch got to number three right this was a very odd number three <laughs> yes that took a minute this was a really weird song it's dad you've listened to it i take it yeah I don't remember it, no. Dad, it's... I remember obviously Buffalo Girls. Do you know what a double dutch is? No. Right. It's it's to do with a skipping rope. Right. And the song is literally about skipping. With a skipping okay. rope. It's mm. weird. Like, it's odd. Yeah. 
Number three. It got to number three. It's in the charts for 13 weeks. People aren't normal. <laughs> it's in the top ten for five, four, five weeks. Well, it's not normal. Well, I'll just read out the top ten. Number ten, Club Tropicana. Number, yes, yeah, it number was ten. Right. Number ten, Club Tropicana. Wham! But that is on the up. So obviously, it's right, just okay. not, not long entered. Uh, Come Live With Me by Heaven 17 was number nine. And that was going down. Cruel Summer, Banana Rama, number eight, going up. Wrapped Around Your Finger, The Police, number seven, going up. Number six was The Crown by Gary Bird. I can't say I've heard that one. Uh, Give It Up, number five by Casey and the Sunshine Band. Number four, going down. Who's That Girl by Eurythmics. Number three, Double Dutch, Malcolm McLaren. I O U by Freeze was number two. And Wherever I Lay My Hat, That's My Home by Paul Young was number one. So there you go. He was beating some good songs there with some weird song about skipping. Yeah. Yeah, that's not right. It's about skipping. It is about skipping. um, the video's it's, got it's, skipping rope in it and all. A double dutch is when you use two skipping ropes and you're yeah, right, yeah. In, in the yeah, they do I can't skip with two skipping yeah. ropes. So it went in the charts at 42, it then went shot up to number 19, it then went into number 10, so it got into the top 10, then it went seven, four, three, four, seven, and then just slipped just outside the top ten at number eleven, still in the top twenty, nineteen. Then number 30, 46, and then 74. Oh, so, 13 that... weeks in the uh, top 100. You lot are not okay. And what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine weeks in the top 20. Yeah, you're not okay. Anyway, moving on to 1984, Madame Butterfly, Unbel de Vedremo, and that got to number 13. Yeah, this was a big change compared to the other ones. Um, it's a bit like a description. Just it, I've I, I got no other words to describe it. And then it's very instrumental, and then it's got classical, and I don't really know if I'm coming or going with it, if I'm honest. Okay. 1989, Waltz Dancing, and this was with the Bootzilla Orchestra, and it got to number 31. Again, very confusing. You have the soft singing. And these last two, I don't think he was really in them. Um, so you had the soft singing, which was a woman, it weren't it? Um, and then you've got the harsher music in the background, like your more beaty, I want to say hip-hop type, dis- like they weren't disc-scratching, but more similar music to Buffalo Girls, but with this woman singing. Oh, Dad, it's very odd. Like I say, you don't know if you're coming and going. Okay, and finally, 1989, Something's Jumping in Your Shirt, uh, featuring Lisa Marie and obviously, again, the Bootsilla Orchestra, and that got to number 29. Again, he just isn't in it. And when I say, like, in Double Dutch, it was literally about singing, uh, about skipping. He was basically, it was like he was talking and giving instructions how to double dutch is how I can describe that song. And I feel like something is jumping in your shirt is the same 
but he's taught this woman to do it. So he's like, oh, this has worked for me. Sing it like this for me. And then every now and then, like, there's something jumping. And he's like, where? In your shirt. And it's like, it's weird. (laughs) It's very odd. Okay. Yeah. We will move on to uh, Terence Trent. (laughs) We'll move on to Terence Trent Derby. Yeah. Totally different kind of music. Like, yeah, I said this to you at the beginning, though. Um, like the artist, big shifts in genres as I go through it. Mm. I think he is very passionate about his music. I just, there's just, you can hear it in his voice. Um, he's very young, and his voice is very deep, considering. So it's one of those. Like I think I said it for Rick Astley. Um, I can't look at him when he's singing because it just doesn't look like it's him singing because the voice doesn't add up terence has a very unique voice um and i like when like in one of his songs or a couple of his songs he chuckles like mid-song and i'm like oh that's quite nice um he's got a beautiful voice though he's very very talented with it um i think he's pop rock and i think he might take a bit of influence from michael jackson it's just style just looks a bit michael jacksonified um like i say i think he's very young not many videos but i'm very envious of his hair and i was shocked he shaved it all off at one point towards the end um what i want to know though and i don't know how to say this but when i've like watched his videos so when i was like on spotify i could find the songs all fine when i was then watching the videos whenever i typed in a song i'd be able to find his songs but then a video by sanada sanada matreya kept popping up every song and i'm like who are you and why do you want to be terence so who's that like literally every song sananda Sananda Maitreya. Okay. So, Terence Trent Darby, born Terence Trent Howard from Manhattan, New York. He's been active since 1984. He's a singer, songwriter, musician. And when I say musician, he is a pianist, pianoist, pianist, pianist. That's it. Every time. (laughs) (laughs) Guitarist. Bassist, keyboardist, and drummer. Oh, wow. So he really can. He really is a musician. Yeah. So he's pop, rock, and progressive soul. Okay. So, oh, I said pop rock, to be fair. So TTD, as he was also known, just because people couldn't be bothered to say Terence Trent Darby, so he just went with the initials. TTD. Um, he trained as a boxer in Orlando, and in 1980, he won the Florida Golden Gloves Lightweight Championship. He then turned down an offer to attend boxing school in the U.S. Army, opting to go to college instead at the University of Central Florida. However, he quit a year in and um, he enlisted with the U.S. Army and was posted at Fort Still, sorry, Fort Sill in Oklahoma. And then served in Frankfurt, Germany. In 1983, he was court-martialed and dishonorably discharged from the army after going AWOL. Oh. It was while in Germany he worked as a band leader with the band The Touch. 
even releasing an album, Love on Time, in 1984. Then in 1986, he left Germany for London, where he briefly played with the Bojangles, who would go on to be his backing group for his tour in 1988. So Terence Trent Howard took his stepfather's name of Darby, but put an apostrophe between the D and the A. Oh, so Why, that's not know, actually how it's spelled, right? Okay. Yeah. So in 1987, former Human League and Heaven 17 member Martin Ware produced TDD's debut album, introducing okay. the Hardline according to Terence Trent Darby. Nice. The album spent nine weeks at the top of the UK album chart and had and had hit singles Wishing Well, If You Let Me Stay, Sign Your Name and Dance Little Sister. Okay. Wishing Well reached number one on the US Billboard Hot 100 with Sign Your Name charting at number four on the same chart. The album itself reached number four on the Billboard Hot 200. Unfortunately, follow-up album, Neither Fish or Flesh, was a commercial disappointment, spending only four weeks on the UK album chart, peaking at number 12, while in the US it only charted at number 61 in 1989. Oh, his career sounds really short-lived. So Terence Trent's Darby, or TTD's, third album did fare better in the UK at number eight in 1993. The album was called Symphony or Dawn, and the single Delicate, which featured Desiree, reached number 14 on the UK singles chart. While follow-up album Vibrator, released in 1995, was to be Terence Trent Darby's last charting album when reaching number 11 on the UK album chart, while the lead single, Holding On To You, would be his last top 40 hit. In 1989, after his worldwide success, he re-released the album Love On Time as Early Works. So Love on Time, which was the album he'd done with Touch in Germany, he then released it um, as early work. But he did it, but he released it and uh, as just him, not with... Yeah, as early works, yeah, yeah so right, his okay. early work, in other yeah, words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in 2001, Darby legally changed his name to Sananda Matreya, explaining Terence Trent Darby is dead. Nine studio albums and four live albums were then um, released under that new name. Seems a bit odd. He was so at that, the end, yeah. So that's why Sin, 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 Sananda Matreya kept coming up. Because yes, because that's his he, name that, now. That is him. Yes. Right. Yeah, because he's legally changed his name. Right. But then technically, it shouldn't come up as him because those songs... Were released, yeah, correct. But Terence Trent Darby doesn't exist anymore, as he said. He's, he's, he's killed him off. Dead. But that was his own name. <laughs> really weird. Is, is weird. 
That's so, really weird. Like, yeah. who, haven't we had someone else that's done that? Uh, someone else, like, oh, yeah, that person's died, and it was like a whole persona, and they brought in a new persona. A prince, oh, prince. Was, was it prince? Prince, and he became symbol. That's it, yeah, but the the actual symbol. Or yeah. he was known as AFCAP, artist formerly yeah. known as Prince, and then yeah. he became symbol, but he didn't call it, 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 it was just it a symbol. It, it was, was a symbol. A picture, but no one knew yeah. what the symbol was. Yeah. yeah. See, people are weird. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So Terence Trent Darby, 1987. Hang on if a minute. Back me... to Sananda. Did he? Yeah. He then went on and released nine. Yeah, nine albums. studio right. albums and four so live albums did... under that new name. So he didn't stop, but he no. just. Yeah, but they didn't do Terrence anything to... to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, right. Okay. I mean, to be fair, people are probably at that point thinking you've gone off the rails. Tara. Yeah. Well, they're still obviously doing all right, but yeah, between two thousand one and twenty twenty one. He released That's nine so studio albums. Okay. I okay. can't get over it. Why do people do this? Why are people weird? Can you imagine if I turned around to you and was like, Dad, Rebecca has died. I am now to be known as... I can't even... Sally. Random. Yeah. <laughs> like, what would you say? Like, know. how do people react to that in his normal <laughs> life? Because yeah. it's not like Prince. Prince, I oh, know Prince was his real name, weren't it? I think it was, yeah. Because uh, I was going to say, it's not like Prince, where it's like a persona and not his real name anyway, but I'm sure it was. Yeah. Bit like David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, but that's more normal, because at least Ziggy yeah. Stardust was a persona and David Bowie yeah. was actually him. So he could be like, yeah, I'm putting Ziggy Stardust to bed. Mm. Like, I want to be my true self. Yeah. Like, what's his name? Keith Lemon's doing it, isn't he? Keith Lemon's mm. not his real name, is it? No, no, no. Um, and he's putting him to bed a bit more and taking himself a bit more seriously. Can't think no. of his real name, but yeah, he's doing it. He was also Bo that Selector makes... as well, so. But that makes more sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Rather than being like, yeah, yeah I'm dead. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> okay. So, Terence Trent Darby, as we will call him, oh, as that's what these songs were released under. Yeah. Uh, 1987, If You Let Me Stay, got to number seven. Okay. Uh, this really shows off his vocals. It builds up and I feel like it gets more passionate and like more, more of an oomph in it as it goes on. 1987, Wishing Well, number four. It's slow, but effective. Um, so the chorus makes it even like... the. So it's all one tempo throughout which usually I'm like, mm, not a big fan, but the chorus makes the song. Um, so I, really, I did really enjoy listening to that one, to be fair. Okay. 1987, Dance Little Sister, number 20. Upbeat, makes you want to dance. Um, the music is really good in it, and it's got some good instruments that um, you can hear in there as well. So enjoyed that one. 1988, Sign Your Name, number 2. Uh, this one's more heartfelt with a bit of a deeper meaning, I'd say. I recognise this one. Um, it's very soft and calming. I thought you might have said that for number one, you know. Uh, I, I think that's the best song this week. I thought, no, Dance With My mm. Father. Is oh, well, yeah, that is, yeah, but it wasn't 80s, I suppose. But, no, it weren't. Yeah. And I do also think that... Um, 
She Won't Talk to Me is a really good one. Uh -huh. um, 1993, Do You Love Me Like You Say, number 14. So this was my favourite of his. Um, it really shows off his vocal range. Do you know what? It takes a minute to get into, um, but it's just got a different feel to his other work. And I don't know what it is, but I really, really like it. I can't pinpoint what's so good about it, but it's good. And I really don't know, because when I sent you the song, yeah, I, know. I wrote it's down, do you like me, love you, say? And I thought, yes. what the hell? And it took you about <laughs> a week before you then messaged going, obviously, this is a typo. And I didn't reply to you because I'd already found it. And I've listened to it by that point. I don't even like, know how I did yeah. it. I just I got bundled up with I the also, love and like, I think. Or I also don't even know how my phone knew what I was on about. <laughs> but Spotify knew what I was on about and gave me uh, that. And I was like, uh, that's a bit similar. I'll go with that one. And then when you when you messaged me, I was like, okay, at least listen to the right song then. Yeah. Uh, 1993, Delicate, featuring Desiree, got to number 14 big fan of this it's very repetitive um the woman desiree has a lovely voice but listen to her i mean she's 90s but listen to her i've got her album i had her album she had a really good song life or something i can't remember what it was called now i can literally hear it uh um but yeah really good song desiree listen to her um but yeah, that got to number 14. 1993, She Kissed Me, number 16. This turned very rock with lots of instrumentals. And I was like, what are you ending on here? Um, so I didn't really know what to think of that one. But yeah, it, were, it weren't bad. I was just like, why have we all of a sudden gone to this? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, moving on to Phil Bailey, or Philip, sorry, Bailey. Um, Phil, oh, is he also Phil good? Philip? He went by Philip, but F Phil, oh, okay. Um, I've gone with soul RB pop. Um, I only got two songs, they're quite different from one another, and I think they're good songs. And I wish the only downside to like having seven artists, and obviously, the previous guys that we've discussed had. Not a lot of songs, but like enough. But I've not yeah. put aside time to listen to extras, and that's completely my fault. But also life, isn't it? Um, but I do wish I had time to listen to more of Phil Bailey and um, just know what else he came out with because he's got a good vocal range as well. And obviously, one of the songs I had already listened to, so I was like, okay, I know this. Um, but yeah, I wish I had more. Um, okay. But that might give you an insight to what I personally think of him as well. <laughs> okay. So well, you it. have listened to you have listened to more of his songs when he was from his group, oh, which is what, I? and he wasn't really a soloist to be honest. Oh right, so I probably won't um, find more. So, okay, what um, group was he in then? We will come to it. So Philip Bailey from Denver, Colorado, active since 1970. He's a singer-songwriter. Um, R&B, jazz, soul, gospel, pop, what? funk, rock. Okay, is there a genre that he's not part of? So, in 1972, while attending the University of Colorado, 
Bailey was invited to join the band Earth, Wind and Fire. We have discussed those. By the band's founder, Morris White. So soon after, Bailey sang the lead vocals with his falsetto on songs such as Devotion, Keep Your Head to the Sky, Reasons, Fantasy, Star, I've Had Enough, Turn On, The Beatbox, When Love Goes Wrong, Guiding Lights and My Promise. While he also shared the vocals with White on many other tunes, including That's the Way of the World and Boogie Wonderland. Bailey... Out of all those songs you've just listed, I'm sat here like none of them have come out to me uh-huh. until you got to Boogie Wonderland. <laughs> but then I'm like, I don't remember the song, but I recognise that name. So I'm going to have to go back and listen to Earth, Wind and Fire. Do you remember I liked them? going to have to, because none of the songs are shouting me. Mm, I don't know. Mm. So Bailey recorded a solo album in 1983 while still with Earth, Wind and Fire. But by 1984, White had put the band on a hiatus. This allowed Bailey to continue with his solo career. Right, so he was kind of doing it at the same time. Yeah. We've had quite a few of those recently. Yes. Um, I mean, like Duran Duran had their projects when they went on hiatus yeah. and hiatus. Hiatus. Yeah. Um, so his debut album in 1983 was called Continuation. It was on Columbia Records, which was the same record label as Earth, Wind and Fire. Um, The album charted at number 71 on the Billboard Hot 200, but did reach the top 20, number 19, on the US Billboard Top Soul albums. While the lead single, I Know, reached number 10 on the Billboard Hot R&B chart. In 1984... Bailey co-wrote Easy Lover with Phil Collins, which reached number two on the US Billboard Hot 100. The single came out after Bailey's second solo album, The Wonders of His Love, which was a gospel album and charted at number 17 on the Billboard Top Gospel Albums chart. Bailey's third album, Chinese Wall, released in October 1984, included the single Easy Lover, which saw the album chart in the top 20 in both the US, number 22, and the UK, number 29. Um, While in the US, it also charted at number 10 on the Billboard Top R&B chart. Bailey's fourth album, Triumph, was another gospel sounding and charted at number 18 on the Billboard Top Christian albums. Now, I don't know what the difference is between Christian and gospel, or they're the same chart, just people call them, some people call it Christian, and others call it gospel. I'm not 100% sure. We're singing a bit different to, like Christian, I'm like, that's hymns, but gospel's got a bit more of an element. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, However, Triumph also won Bailey a Grammy Award in the Best Male Gospel Performance category. And that's what I'm saying. So he wins wins gospel at the Grammys, but it was charting in the Christian album. So I don't know whether Christians and gospel is the same or whether the the person who wrote the the, where I got the reference from got it wrong and it should be gospel. I don't know. Also, I'm not hearing gospel 
in any well, of these. Well, the I mean, I know they've only got two, big over here, and yeah, certainly a gospel album wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't do anything good, over here. Yeah. I've been thinking that, like, he's very American, then, isn't he? Bailey's fifth album, Inside Out, made the top 30 in both Switzerland at number 29 and Sweden at number 30, as well as number 30 on the US Billboard Top R&B Album Chart. Bailey's sixth album, the last he released in the 80s, was Family Affair in 1989. This was another gospel album which charted at number 37 on the Billboard Top Gospel Album Chart. Bailey continued releasing solo albums with another four released between 1994 to 2002 and has since released Love Will Find A Way in 2019, which was his 11th solo studio album. Um, in the mid-1990s, Morris White announced he was putting his touring days to a close, meaning that Bailey became the onstage leader for Earth, Wind and Fire. Hey. Have you seen them? Um, we've seen, seen. I think we have once, or a a a, Vet, a, play, like, a, a you know. A, I think it is Earth, Wind, and Fire. We saw, but whether it's the actual lineup, I'm not sure. Uh, we wind. Right. Okay. So yes. So you've not seen Phil Bailey? I don't think he was there. No. Right. Not. I might be wrong. I can't recall. Okay. Okay. Do you like Earth, Wind, and Fire? Uh, those. I mean, I like. They're okay. I'm not a f big fan of that kind of music, if I'm honest. Okay. I just really can't remember them. I'm gonna have to go. Back. I mean, my favourite song this week is "Kiss Me." That's why you um, listen by certain Tintin. Stephen Tintin Duffy. Which we haven't got to. I get that. Sign I your get name, mine. and yeah, also like yeah. Buffalo Gals. I do like that. You're weird, then. Thank you. Anyway, <laughs> Phil Bailey. Okay. 1985, Easy Lover with Phil Collins got to number one. Oh, so I was right. You. Were. I did doubt myself, but I was like, mm, "This is the biggest song I've got this week." I'm telling you, either that or Dance with My Th My Father. Um, but yeah, so it's this was my favorite. 21. Yeah, this is <laughs> my favorite out of the two that you gave me. It's just yeah. such a good song, feel good, sing along, upbeat, classic. It's with Phil Collins. I watched the video again, and it's really funny because the beginning of the video, they're like, So we're making a video about making a video of a video. Like, it's it's fun, it's a funny video because they kind of talk, it's like a documentary kind of video, <sighs> but they're making the video for the music. It, yeah, and I just, I just, I would have loved to have seen them together. I think they mm. probably had a right laugh together. Not going to lie. So two fills, and it was feel good. Nineteen eighty-five, walking on the Chinese wall, number thirty-four. See, I did as much as it weren't my favourite because I just, and usually I wouldn't pick. Ones I know was my favourite, but it it was a bit more calm and just Easy Love is just an amazing song, I think. Um, and this one, like, it, they're very different. So this one's, like, a bit more calm, more focused, like, and it, but it really shows off his vocal range. So I did like that about it. Um, but, 
obviously people but then i think also if you've got easy lover and then you're releasing walking on the chinese wall it's not the same is it um so you can see why it went down but um i'd give it a chance okay moving on to stephen duffy or stephen tintin duffy yeah so again only two and they're two songs that sound different from one another yet again um Mm -hmm. I think he's a very serious man. I don't think I saw one bit of emotion or expression on his face in any two of the videos. And I was sat there like, do something. Blink. Smile. Like, move your mouth. Like, apart from when he's singing, but even when he's singing, there's no, like, he's just, like, blank, and his lips are moving, but there's no expression. It's like there's nothing there. It was very odd. Very odd. Um, And I've gone with synth pop. Rock might be in there as well yeah okay so stephen tintin duffy uh he's from ullum rock in birmingham active since 1978 he's a singer songwriter musician um so he plays guitar bass keyboards and drums and he's um a proper musician as well he's new wave oh that one <laughs> which that in a one. sense is like synth yeah. pop it's, it's that's why i said it's that a, one it is sophisty pop and yeah. synth pop and mm-hmm. it's a bit of all of the 80s really that's why i say Electronic. that one because so, yeah. it's the one that i forget about and then yeah. when i'm struggling with a genre it's the one that i should always go with <laughs> and never do <laughs> so stephen duffy is a founding member of the birmingham band Birmingham band. Yes. Who were the Birmingham band? Big band from Birmingham. Oh, you mean there was a band in Birmingham, not a band uh, yeah. called Birmingham <laughs> <No>. band? <laughs> I'm like, there's no, I've never heard of the Birmingham band. Uh, no, you haven't. No, a, but sorry, the, the Birmingham no. band, and I didn't say which the, what the band is. So right. I'll but, do it again what, if you yeah, can't try. think. Stephen Duffy is a founding member of Birmingham band Duran Duran. I do not remember them being from Birmingham. Where he had met John Taylor at Birmingham Polytechnic. Is he a member of Duran Duran? I've heard his name before. Yep. And they formed the band together along with Taylor's childhood friend Nick Rhodes. The original lineup was Taylor on guitar, who later switched to bass. Rhodes was on synthesizer or keyboards, while Duffy was the band's vocalist and bassist, as well as the lyricist. So he wrote the lyrics to the the music. So he wrote the words to the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, When bass player Simon Coley joined the band, Duffy moved to drums. Uh, When Duffy left the poly in 1979, he also left the band um, along with Coley. I don't recognise his name because he wasn't really. And this was before, so they both left before Duran Duran signed with EMI in 1980. So he left in 1979. Coley left just after, and then Duran Duran replaced both of them with three people. Um, So obviously Andy Taylor joined, um, Roger Taylor, and obviously Simon Le Bon. Mm. 
who would become the vocalist that everyone knows. Yes. That name I remember. So Duffy went on to form, obviously, Five Believers, also known as the Subterian Hawks or the Hawks. The Hawks' only single, Words of Hope, was released in 1981. In 1982, Duffy formed the band Tintin with John Mulligan and Dick Davis, both formerly of the band Fashion. I had Tintin, didn't I? Andy Grocott um, from Dexy's Midnight Runners and Bob Lamb, who was the UB40 producer, also joined. The band were originally called Holy Tintin before shortening the name to Tintin. The band signed with WEA Records and released the single Kiss Me in 1982, but it was unsuccessful. And in 1983, Tintin signed to Sire Records in the US and Kiss Me made the dance charts. Their second single, Hold It, also released in 1983, reached number 55 in the UK. After Tintin disbanded, Duffy went to work in the US, but on his return, he started working under the name Stephen Tintin Duffy and recorded a new version of Kiss Me, which he released in 1984. But he only released it in the local area of West Midlands. Um, this was followed by a nationwide release of his second single, She Makes Me Quiver, which charted at number 88 in September 1984. At the end of 1984, Duffy recorded a third version of Kiss Me. Bear in mind, the first version was Tintin's. The mm. second version was what was he released him. locally. Now he's, now he's recorded uh, a third version. Over. Kiss Me. And this was produced by J.J. Jekzalik of Art and Noise in, and Nicholas Froome. Uh, it was released in February 1985 and went straight in at number 22 and then st stayed in the top 10 for five weeks. So he got it up there, didn't he? Yeah. Duffy followed up with the release of Icing on the Cake, which also made the top 40 in the UK. Duffy's debut album, The Ups and Downs, was released in 1985 and reached number 35 on the UK album chart. A new single, Unkiss the Kiss, was released in September 1985 and peaked at number 77. This single was released by Stephen A.J. Duffy after he dropped the Tintin. The single was the first release from Duffy's second album, Because We Love You, which was released in early 1986 under the name of Stephen Duffy. Right. Two other singles were released, I Love You, which got to number 86, and Something Special, a collaboration with Sandy from Sandy and the Sunsets. However, the single didn't chart. In 1986, Duffy released a non-stop 40-minute early house album with Roger Freeman of Pig Bag called Designer Beat Nike. Be He's Beatnik. really 
he's really trying to get his work out there, isn't he? Like he's not yeah. stopping. He's a hard grafter. Yeah. And that was under the name of Dr. Calculus. So designer oh. Beatnik was released, um, and it was by Duffy and Roger Freeman of Pig Bag. Um, and they'd released it under the name of Dr. Calculus. Right. So in late name changes as well. Yeah. It's in late 1986, Duffy, along with his brother Nick and their friend Michael Weston, formed the band The Lilac Time an alternative folk rock band, and in 1987 released a self-titled album. In 1991, after several lineup changes, with just the brothers being the mainstay of the band, the band split up. Okay. Stevens Duffy went solo again and released the album Music in Colours in 1993. This was recorded with Nigel Kennedy, the violinist and featured the singles Natalie and Holt End Hotel. So Nigel Kennedy's a big Aston Villa fan, and anyone who knows about Aston Villa, the home end is known as the Holt End. Right. And obviously that's what this single I'm guessing is named after, the Holt End Hotel. Um, neither single charted and neither did the album. His next album was simply called Duffy which was released in 1995 with the singles London Girls and Sugar High, both charting in the top 10 on the indie chart. Right. So, and is this over here still? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All this is over here. Right. In 1999, Duffy found a tape recording of 1978-79 Duran Duran music. Was in, thought he was in his, them after all this time. <laughs> it was in storage. He then had a chance meeting with Nick Rhodes at a fashion show, and they decided to collaborate and re-record the music onto the tapes. They didn't change right. the lyrics, they just and they only them. used instruments from back then. So oh, even right. though so they, like, the synthesizers it. would have got better, they used synthesizers they used from back then that they would have used back right. then. Right, that's cool. Um, so all they did was put a modern was use the modern recording techniques as yeah, how they it. taped it. Yeah. And that. Yeah. Nothing else. The lyrics were the same, and they used the instruments that they would have used back then. Yeah, yeah. So only the way that it was produced has changed, really. The result was the album Dark Circles, which they released under the name The Devils, not Duran Duran, because it wasn't Duran Duran no. as we know yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So they released it under The Devils, even though they have released it was early like, music Duran Duran. But because they were both in Duran Duran, couldn't they have just yeah. released it as like Duran? Well, I suppose it and could not have. be done for. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It could have just called it Duran. And then you would have had the Duran Duran fans come at you, like. Yeah. Okay. Well, Nick Rose was still involved, and so they'd have still probably known uh, about it. Yeah, and I, if people know the history of their band, I which I guess hard they, would, band. they would know that yeah. Duffy was originally in the band. So and I'm see sure. Those yeah. two names and, and um, that's true. I've, I've looked it up. And it's you can't really buy it now, but there is one copy going on a certain God. auction site oh, for Go on. quite a bit of money. It's it's thirty quid for just a CD, forty quid, forty quid, I think it was. So yeah, so um, 
when you say it's going for quite a bit of money, 40 quid is not what well, they Yeah, but for CDs. Like yeah, I get, yeah. If it's the only one about, I'd be there like expecting. Oh, maybe I should put a bid in. Yeah. Yeah, but then you'll have to pay for it. Yeah. No one else wants to go above 40. That's yours, Dad. Nah, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a big, oh, um, Duran Duran, um, fan. To go. It's called Dark Circles by The Devils. Dark Circle, it doesn't come up. Yeah, oh, Dark no. Circles. It's because I can't spell. And it's released by The Devils. And it's a, um, it's an album no. of their early recordings. No, it, I did one. listen to a couple of the songs. One of them was it's quite not good. On Spotify either. Yeah, so that's what I mean. It's um, that's very rare, hard to. Anyway, moving on. So in two thousand and three, Wobby Williams, so oh, completely oh, going away yeah. here. Yeah. Wobby Williams split from his co-writer Guy Chambers after five albums. And he enlisted Stephen Duffy to write with him. In 2004, Williams released Radio, which was co-written and co-produced with Duffy and was a number one hit single in the UK. While the follow-up single, Misunderstood, also written and co-produced by Williams and Duffy, Duffy, was a top 10 hit when peaking at number eight in the UK. The two singles were non-studio album releases and were part of the promoted Wobby's Greatest Hits album. So he then, so Duffy stopped his career and went into... Yeah, yeah and he went writing into and writing and producing with Wobby Williams, who was the biggest that. star at the time. Yeah, I like So, that. however, the success of both singles saw Williams continue the collaboration with Duffy for his sixth studio album, which would be his first without Guy Chambers. The album, called Intensive Care, was released in October 2005 and was a number one hit on the UK album chart, while the lead single, Tripping, co-written, again with Duffy, as I would say most of the album was, yeah. peaked at number two on the UK album chart, and was either one or two throughout Europe. Wow. I don't remember that album. That album doesn't ring a bell. Mm. For whatever reason, Duffy didn't work with Williams on his next album, the seventh one, which was Rude Box in 2006. However, Wobby Williams did re-record Kiss Me for the Rude Box album. And the single reached what? number 13 in Norway. Oh, that that it didn't. Yeah, oh. that was the only place it was so released. Robbie I think. Williams, oh, um, so Robbie Williams didn't do great with Kiss no. Me, but it's quite no. interesting. That it was just an album track for him. Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah, that's true. Him. And he's just so, worked yeah. with Duffy, got permission to use it. That kind of yeah, thing. yeah. yeah. Um, in 1994, BBC Radio One shut down its medium wave frequency to switch over to fm stereo the last song that was played on medium wave by the bbc radio one station was kiss me by stephen duffy his version his version that's quite a cool thing to say isn't it 
Yeah. So Stephen Tintin Duffy, 1985, Kiss Me, got to number four. Good going. Um, I can see why you like it. It's got the, it's very 80s, like very like tuned vocals. It sounds very programmed and I did like it. Um, and you did get me to listen to the Robbie Williams version. Obviously, at the time, I didn't really know why I was listening to it. But um, I think I do prefer um, Stephen Duffy's version, which is okay. good. Because it's obviously the original version. Yes. I do like Robbie's version, though. Yeah, I do like his version. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think I do prefer Stephen Duffy's. Yeah. But it's not the original. That's the third version. Well, remember. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But obviously, the original yeah. was... Duran, Duran, weren't it? No, Tintin. Tintin, Tintin. Although it was Stephen Duffy that wrote it anyway. Yeah. So hence then he could redo it. Yeah, he can do what he Uh, wants. 1985, he released Icing on the Cake, and that got to number 14. Okay, that was my favourite out of the two that I had. Um, I think there's just more to it. Head Bopper, it's got a really catchy chorus. Um, As much as I do like the 80s sound, I think some songs do it better, and... Kiss Me weren't as pulling in with that 80s um, so I preferred Icing on the Cake Okay, so Steve Arrington Yes, so again, only two songs um, I think they've both got elements to it, it's not over complicated um, he's got some good vocals on him um, they're just good pieces of music I've gone with pop rock or soul for the genre um, and I just think he just looks like a free soul. He just looks like someone that's having a good time. Like he's wearing in um oh what song was it? Feel so real. I think he was wearing this blue outfit, shiny blue, but it was very like oversized, and he just seemed very free in it. And I was like, oh, you're just here for a good time. Um, so yeah, I liked his vibe. Okay. So Steve Arrington is from Dayton, Ohio. He's been active since 1979. He's a singer, songwriter and musician, a drummer. He's funk, soul, R&B, gospel and pop. Soul, R&B, gospel and pop. Mm. Okay. So Arrington played in various bands locally before joining and touring with The Murphys, a lounge band from Toledo, Ohio. In 1975, Arrington relocated to San Francisco, California, where he learned Latin percussion and drumming. He then joined the funk group Slave on their third album called The Concept, originally as percussionist and then later becoming the drummer as well as a backing vocalist. So again, we've got another musician. Yeah. Eventually, Arrington took over as lead vocalist, singing on the hit singles Just a Touch of Love, Watching You and Wait for Me. Watching You was later sampled by Snoop Dogg. Arrington left Slave in 1982, forming the Steve Arrington's Hall of Fame. And had hit singles such as Weak at the Knees and Nobody Can Be You But You. Weak at the Knees was sampled by Jay-Z, Ice Cube and Jermaine Dupin. I know these. Like, I need to hear the original because like you're saying Snoop Dogg. 
Jay-Z, Ice Cube. I'm like, eh? <laughs> like, I want to know what they sounded like because the two songs that I've got here, I'm like, they're not of the same vibe that Jay-Z would be wanting or Snoop Dogg would be wanting. So what did this guy sound like in these bands? Yeah. So, I mean, um... Yeah, I'm very intrigued. And they only sampled them, so there's a bit yeah, of a difference so, between, you know. Yeah, yeah, but there's obviously, that could be a sample of, like, the music or a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it could just be a lyrics that they've then turned into their yeah. own. But sample is still something that sounds similar. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, um, so Watching You, which was um, sampled by Snoop Dogg, was from the band Slave. Of Arrington's, yeah. yeah, and then the Steve Arrington Hall of Fame band, they had "Weak at the Knees," which was sampled by, as I say, Jay Z, Ice Cube, and Jermaine Dupree. Weak at the knees, yes, but that was samples. I doubt it was. I doubt I don't it's going to sound the same. Yeah, but I think it's because obviously the two songs that I've got from them, I'm like. What are these rappers sampling from yeah. these? Like, what yeah. is there that they could take that? Because the two that I've got, I wouldn't be able to, I, I can't yeah. picture any of those songs being taken by a rapper. And yeah. do you know what I mean? So I'm going to listen yeah. to it. I want to know. Okay. In 1985, Arrington went solo and had his most successful period with his album Dancing in the Key of Life whose title track became a top 10 R&B hit and also spent three weeks at number two on the Billboard dance chart. Another single from the album, Feel So Real, reached the top 20 in the UK. In 1984, Arrington experienced a religious conversion, later becoming a licensed minister and until... and. In 1990, he left pop music. Okay. So he's, like, moved. Yep. Until his re-emergence later in 2009 with his R&B funk Pure Thang album. So he came back with an album in 2009. Okay. Called Pure Thang. So. Steve Arrington, 1985, Feel Surreal, got to number five. This was my favourite out of the two. Um, very slow, but to the point. It's got a good beat. I feel like you can sing to it. And the more I've listened to it, the more it's grown on me. Okay. And again, 1985, Dancing in the Key of Life, that got to number 21. I expected more from this one because the song title, I'm like, yeah, Dancing is a key of life. Um, but it just it had a good beat and it did catch my attention straight away. It just weren't as good as Feel So Real. Okay. So moving on to Neil. Yes, Dad. Okay. So I was watching a a flashback uh, a program. It's on Channel Five. Back to nineteen eighty four or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And. they brought up, obviously, it was oh, looking back at 1984, it had the music, it had Frankie Goes Hollywood and what happened with them, and had the the uh, the coach crash of Bucks Fizz, um, and it had all that, and um, it had Madonna and obviously what she was, and Michael Jackson, um, 
and it had about TV and um, comedy times at the time was Good Life, Bread, um, Butterflies. And then it said about how different it was with the young ones. So the young ones was a big comedy show for youngsters and was totally different from what was around at the time. And it was like the sort of thing that your mum didn't want you to watch, you know, that sort of comedy. Um, well, even though it was for younger, and it was it, well, it wasn't younger. I mean, like teenagers, twenty year olds, that sort of. Right. You don't say young. Um, it was late at night um, on the BBC, and um, well, I think it was BBC, um, and it had like four people in it: Rick Mail, Aidan Edmondson, Nigel Planner, and I can never remember the other bloke. Um, now, Nigel Planner played Neil. You had Aidan Edmondson was I think it was Aidan Edmondson or Wick Mel was Vivian. Um, and, right, yeah, so this isn't like now. just a show. It's like yeah, no, no, it's like a it's a, portraying, it's a, a comedy, like, like a sitcom. Uh, type sitcom. Right yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. But anyway, it was a big thing, and Neil released a single. Right. Okay, which was yeah. "Hole in My Shoe." Yeah. Um, in 1984, so the song was written by Dave Mason of rock band Traffic who Steve Winwood was a member of. Um, and it was in that. So they were around in the late 70s, early, late 60s, early 70s. Um, and they reached number two with their version in 1967. OK. Yeah. Um, and so Neil released it. And I will just read out the top seven of the chart oh, in this oh, time okay. in 1984. So but at number seven. Like that people have made about Yeah, it. no, no. Nine, number seven going down. So, you know, it's obviously it peaked at number four. Or no, it peaked at number two. Wait, um, this I, hole in my no, no, shoe. No, 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 no. I'm reading the chart at the time. You just said it peaked at number four. This song did. Hole in my shoe. No. The song I'm about to say, number seven. Right. Okay. I won't let the I won't let the sun go down on me by Nick Kershaw. Yeah, that peaked oh, at number two and was on obviously on the way down. Number six on the way up was What's Love Got to Do with It by Tina Turner. That was love got to do. Yeah. To number five was When Doves Cry by Prince. Right. Number four was Cindy Lauper Time After Time. Number three was Relax. Relax. Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Yeah. That last week was number two. Okay. Right. It had been knocked off number two by Neil with Hole in My Shoe. Shut up, Neil. Got got to number two. And number one was Frankie Goes to Hollywood with Two Tribes. Frankie Goes to Hollywood for one week had the number one and the number two. And it was Neil... Hole in my shoe that split the two tracks up. Sorry. And have you listened to this song as well? Oh, I remember it. A hole in my shoe that is letting in water. It's a fact, Dad. But it starts (laughs) off with, I'm going to put on my shoes. Oh, no, I think I'm in a dream. Dad, he's got to be high. Yeah, that he probably was. The young ones were like that's what the young ones was like. He was the weird, yeah. right. So I was listening to it on my own, right? 
Um, I'll give you background. We were taking the kids back. Connor went in and I sat in the car and I, I was like, oh, I didn't play it on the way, so I'm going to listen to it now. Anyway, then on the way home, I was like, Connor, you've got to listen to this song that Dad sent me. <laughs> so I put it on and Connor went, on your podcast, are you allowed to say that people are on drugs? I went, Connor, do you know how many times I've probably asked Dad if people are high? And he went, yeah, you need to ask your dad if he was high doing this song because he's got to be on something. Oh. And then Connor, <coughs> he judged me for it, but Connor was like, this is a load of garbage, isn't it? And it was like near the end where he was like, I'm going to get in the bath with my shoes on. Because every now and then he talks, he's like, I'm going to get in the bath with my shoes on. It doesn't matter now. Um doesn't make a difference or something and then he must be laugh and he's like i feel like i'm floating and connor's like nah he's high and i went but don't you think it's a bit um like the tune the tune of the song like when he's singing it's quite catchy not to be yeah. number two but well, i got to number two twice 1967 and then 1984 that's mad i don't i guess the original version wasn't like that version though yeah, maybe not. It or is. It, yeah, thanks for that. Um, yeah. insight. Into... I just thought, I, I just thought, oh, this was such a big song at the time, and because of the young ones. I mean, that's why it got to where it was because of the young because ones. The young you ones. really do need to look at the young one. Watch, watch a video of on YouTube or something of the young ones, right, and just okay. watch one episode because you're probably. But am I going to? You well, I don't know. I don't know if that comedy that has lasted, but right. you're at that age now where yeah, well, you're probably even a bit older than you're still twenty, you know. So yeah, I'm nearly thirty. Yeah, that's what I mean. You're still in your twenties, so I am yeah. a grown up. Yeah, just watch it. Just sit, have a look. But Nick, if you one. look, if you look up Nigel Planner, he's so he's such a great actor, but he's so different to Neil. You wouldn't realise that he played Neil. Obviously, he's much older now anyway. But, yeah, he um, went on to um, serious acting after. So, uh, yeah, Nigel Planner with one N. Yeah. Planner, I think it is. Not Planner, to be honest. It's Nigel Planner. Yeah, in the BBC comedy, The Young Ones. Yeah. Okay, let's... Okay, I'll look it up. Yeah. So, anyway, um, we'll end it there. But um, before we do... Hit or miss, influenced or not, Luther Vandross. Hit. I really enjoyed him. He was a good start to my week. Uh Bobby Brown. Miss. As much as, like, I I think the way that I speak about him, I did, you know, there were things that I did like about him, and he's got some good songs in there, but not enough for me to go back, like. um, And it's funny because he had better hits than Luther Vandross over here. Like, to be fair... It's not like, especially like his end. There's probably three that I'd go back to out of the seven. No, uh-huh. out of the eight. Um, and like my prerogative is mainly because obviously I know the Britney Spears version. Yeah, it doesn't change much. So yeah, I didn't really. Okay, didn't Malcolm McLaren. Another miss. He's just a bit odd, isn't he? Yeah, didn't he's an entertainer. Well. Yeah. I wouldn't even say an entertainer. He's just weird. <laughs> Terence Trent Darby. Another miss. Ooh, what you would. Yeah. Like. No. Um. Again, there were songs that I liked, but he, I don't know. They're just 
there weren't much really about him right. that drew me in. Okay. Definitely listen, I've checked. It is Life by Desiree. Life. Okay. Okay. Good song. I've got, I've got her up already. Uh, Phil Bailey. Philip he was, Bailey. He was a hit. Um, and like I say, when I was talking about him, I was like, oh, we should listen to more. It gave it away a bit. Um, but yeah, I do really enjoy him. The two songs, like I say, I did like both of them. I just, Easy Love was such an amazing song. Um, so yeah, hit. Stephen Tintin, Duffy, X Duran Duran. Um, a miss. Mm. Yeah. Um, like I say, like his songs were very 80s, but it weren't enough for me to want to explore more of him. Steve Arrington. Um, he was a hit. Mm-hmm. Um, I do really like the two songs that he had. So, okay. um, yeah, I'd like to see more of him. Good. And lastly, Neil, with I his, mean, um, I suppose, a novelty song in a sense. I, I mean, mean, it wasn't a novelty I'm song. Going, just... yeah. Let's go, he's a miss, even <laughs> though that song is catchy, but it's not any uh, Captain, was it Captain Sensible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not him, is it? Um, No. He's just a bit high. It was very weird. I felt like I had to be on something listening to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Also, this series. Yeah. That is the the groups or bands and male soloists of the 80s that you've now listened to. Can't believe that. The males has gone so quick, you know, like it, it's mad that I've listened to the chart topping males in the 80s. Yeah. Any highlights or is it you need time to have a, a think back and when we do the recap episode? Do, yeah, we're doing a recap episode, episode we'll... and we'll need time. But obviously yeah. my biggest highlight was getting to listen to Michael Jackson for a week. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, but no, I will have a look back and I'll tell you like I'll tell you my biggest one and my worst one that we've had. Um, okay. But yeah, it what it has been good and I think it started I mean, I think it's been the male soloists, I think, are very um strong throughout. Like we didn't really have any weeks that I was like, oh no. This might have this week might have had the most misses out of Elder. Yeah, I think it probably was, yes. Okay. Uh, but yeah. All right. Well, that is it. It is. That is so, it for another season. Yeah. Series. And I will um we'll record the bonus episode at some point. And then and, you get um, your episode at some yes. point too. And um I shall then look at um getting the women, ladies. Yes. Started. Yes. Female soloists. Yes. Okay. All right, then. All right. Bye. Bye.